and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. And a quick reminder before we get started, on April 1st, I launched a Patreon subscription program. Patreon members will get some added perks like discounts on podcast merch, a private Discord discussion group, bonus episodes, and the ability to submit questions for future interview guests. More to come on this, but for now, I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 31. Today I talk a little about my hiatus from recording, which did include a quick trip to Chicago for opening day against the Brewers. And then I get into some of the thoughts and questions I've had watching the first eight games of this season. Even though it's early and the sample sizes are very small, we are seeing what this team can be, how it's built, and where there are still gaps to fill and improvements to be made. How good can this Cubs team be? I'll get into my early season predictions at the end of the episode. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. How are you? It is so good to be back in front of the microphone and it's so good to have Cubs baseball back. Real Cubs baseball. What do you think of the first eight games? Well, I want to thank you for sticking through my little hiatus from recording. Um, We did have a family move, and that is always more complicated than I think it's going to be, even when I know how much moving sucks. Um, But we're here. We're back. I'll be back on video hopefully next week. I'm having some problems with my equipment today. So I want to do this audio version, get an episode out there. Um, So the Cubs are four and four. We're through eight games. Sample sizes are super small, Um, and that's going to be the case for a while now. But we do start to see where things are. But, you know, to start, let's go back to the beginning, opening day. And opening day is always a day for hopes and dreams. Every team can go 162-0. and Everything is great. Um, I was able, I was lucky enough to go to Wrigley Field. I was able to move and then, before we had even unpacked, be able to take a, a quick trip, one-day trip to Chicago to see the Cubs, get back into Wrigley Field, legendary, historic Wrigley Field. And it was beautiful. It was March 31st. It was cool, and it was really cold in the morning. But we got 50 degrees in sunshine opening day in Chicago. Can't complain about that. It was a great game. I was able to go with my brother, one of my best friends um, from my childhood, and a friend here from here in Charlotte. We had a great time. You know, It was great to get out in the crowd. Wrigleyville was hopping before, during, and after the game. We saw some good baseball. We got to see just how smooth Dansby Swanson is a shortstop. We got to see a couple double plays. We got to see Marcus Stroman pitch really, really well. And I'll talk more about Stroh here in a little bit. But it was it was really fantastic. It was it was a special day. We were able to hit the bars out of Wrigleyville. We made it over to the outpost to catch the Bleacher Bum Band um, after the game. It really was a fantastic day. And I think the best thing was. Everybody was happy. I mean, the, the Cubs won, so that was a big part of it. Um, but it was just, it, it was excitement. It was real baseball. I didn't notice the pitch clock. I'm not going to talk a lot about that here, but uh, I know there, there still is some continued angst. But, you know, the game moves. 
it's kind of like when I go watch minor league baseball here in Charlotte. I go see Triple A. Game just moves. It's got a pace to it, and uh, I think I think we're all going to be fine with the pitch clock. But you know, that first start was great. After the game, I want to shout out to a random person on the red line. We were catching the red line at Addison Street to go out and get some deep dish. And somebody at the stop was looking at my friend's podcast hat, started asking about it, signed up on the spot. So shout out to a random new listener. So I'm happy to have you aboard. So what have we seen from the Cubs now in this in this time? We've Cubs are 4-4. Four and four. They won opening day, got out quick. Probably should have, could have maybe won the second game of the series against the Brewers. Justin Steele pitched really well in a 3-1 loss. Um, lost the rubber game. And then they went to Cincinnati. They lost the first game there. But then won 12-5 and then got rained out of the last game. And then the Cubs just won a series against the Rangers. So all in all, personally, I think this season is about starting the way I expected it to. I think uh, the Cubs are going to bounce around 500. I'm hoping they can be at or above 500 come you know post All Star break as we head in the trade deadline. I think that's going to give the Cubs a chance to potentially add at the deadline. Now I don't know depending on where this team is and where they sit in the division. I don't know that we'll see massive additions at the deadline, but I do hope where the Cubs are in a position where they're at least not subtracting. They're not trading off. Everybody who's coming off the payroll next year, that would be uh, that would be awful to have to watch that again. And I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be better and good enough that they don't have to do that this year. But so let's let's get into this. So what stands out so far? Now, as the season goes on, as I get back in the routine in my in my new digs here, um, I want to start recording a little bit more often. There's going to be a lot of baseball to talk about. We'll continue to have some interview guests as the season runs on. Um, Maybe we'll do a couple episodes a week. I'm trying to figure out the cadence here. But, you know, so it's small sample size. It's very easy to say, well, it's early season. Everything's going to work itself out. But some things won't. And one of the things that stands out to me so far with this Cubs team is roster construction. And part of this is due, due to the Seiya Suzuki injury. And it looks pretty good, like, like he'll be back in the next week, um, possibly maybe Friday in L.A. Um, we'll see what happens. But... The Cubs have made some interesting decisions, and I I know why they did most of those decisions. I understand them. I could probably even defend them on some level, but those roster decisions are also showing up um, in out in outcomes on the field. So by not having say a Suzuki in right field, the Cubs had opted not basically not to bring what would have been effectively a third outfielder on the roster. So they're covering right field with a mix of Patrick Wisdom and Trey Mancini and Miles Mastroboni. Um, you know, they had the opportunity. They they could have had Christopher Morrell. They could have brought Nelson Velazquez up um, even just for a couple weeks. They could have put Mike Talkman on the 40-man roster. Um, so there were some decisions. There were some guys there that were available. They didn't take them, I think, in large part, especially with Talkman and David Bodie having a really good spring due to the 40-man roster issue. You know, those... The Cubs have to look at guys that have options. They have to look at guys that uh, are and are not on the 40-man. And we talked about that the last couple episodes um, at the end of spring training. But the Cubs now don't have what would be their fourth outfielder when Saya comes back. And it showed a little bit. I mean, they're arguably that game against the Brewers that the Cubs lost 3-1 to in Justin Steele's start, you know, arguably they're maybe holding the Brewers 2-1 run. Maybe that's a different game late 
if Miles Mastroboni can make that catch in right field. And uh, I know a lot of people were angry. At, you know, he didn't dive, but he's not a natural right fielder, so you don't get those instincts. When you're naturally an infielder who can kind of play some patchwork outfield, that's nice versatility to have. But when you're starting the season and you just don't have, you don't have a starting right fielder right now. Um, that's that's where you lose. You lose some of that in the margins because he's not out there. He doesn't have a lot of familiarity, certainly with right field or Wrigley Field, which is very difficult. But just those instincts, when do I dive? When can I lay up? You know, A natural outfielder is going to look at that, see the trajectory of the ball, know that even if they dive and miss, that ball's coming straight down. It's not going anywhere. So you can dive, miss, pick it up, get it back in the infield without major damage. You know, that's different than, you know, a line shot in the gap. If you lay out for it and miss it, you know, that thing's rolling to the wall um, or down in the corner. Um, you know, the runners can run all day. So that's one of the decisions. And the other thing we've seen is this team is, and it's been clear all through the offseason, the team is built on pitching and defense. You know, they picked up Dansby Swanson and Cody Bellinger to nail down shortstop and center field, which allowed Nico Horner to shift over to second base where we already knew he was outstanding. They went defense at catcher. And, you know, they're, they're kind of adequate at first base with Hosmer. He's former gold glove winner. He's not what he used to be, but he's made some nice picks over there. They have third base has been a bit of a question mark. But w- what we're seeing now, and we've got Ian Happ in left field defending gold glove winner, is for this pitching and defense team, they're kind of almost giving up two defensive positions most every game because they're playing a lot of Nick Madrigal at third base. They're playing a lot of, you know, all those guys in right field I talked about. None of them are great defensive right fielders. So that does set up some holes, some possibilities for runs to score that maybe a better defense would prevent. And we'll, we'll see where that goes during the season. So with the roster construction as it is, the Cubs are pretty well set in center field. It's pretty much Cody Bellinger every day. Ian Hampson left. We've got Dansby at shortstop. Nico at second. Eric Hosmer, Trey Mancini, maybe a little Patrick Wisdom are filling in at first base, which is not unexpected. Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes behind the plate. But third base has been a bit of an interesting situation. There's been a lot of Nick Madrigal over there. Patrick Wisdom has played over there. Um, Edwin Rios has played a little bit over there. And it's interesting to watch. You know, Nick Madrigal, I think, can play an adequate third base. I mean, he can make the basic plays. He does not have a big arm, so there are going to be some plays probably down the line that he, he can't make that the third baseman could make. And I guess my question as I watch that is, with what he gives you offensively, what does, you know, is it worth it? You know, if you've got a power hitting third baseman that's going to put up, you know, a 115 OP or WRC plus is going to hit 30 home runs. Yeah, you'll, you'll give up a little defense for that. But for Nick Madrigal, you know, right now he is off to a, he's off to a decent start. I mean, he's hitting 286. I think he was hitting 300 before the game yesterday against, um, against the Rangers. Um, but for a guy who's going to hit, you know, in an ideal situation, maybe he's hitting 310, 320 with no power, not a ton of speed. Is that worth sacrificing third base defense for? Now, I think in the big picture, I think they're trying to see if they can get Madrigal going. Maybe he's a guy that could have some trade value potentially because he's, he's kind of an odd man out. Like it made sense last year when Nico Horner's playing shortstop. I think Madrigal can play an adequate second base. Uh, maybe not great, but he he frankly looked better than I expected him to last year. 
but second base is not a position where you necessarily have to have a lot of offensive firepower. So to put those two in the middle infield together made some sense. And then if, you know, if Madrigal's, Madrigal's going to hit 320 and stay at the top of your order, make a ton of contact, you know, that's got some value there ahead of some guys behind him. But now this year, he's really got to hit. I mean, he's got to hit 320, 330 to really justify taking up a lot of time at third base. So we'll see what they do with him. I think it's um, going to be interesting to see who they send down when, say, a Suzuki comes back. I think Madrigal is certainly a candidate to go back down. They also have um, Brendan Hughes on the pitching side. He's getting close to coming back, it looks like. And so out of that bullpen, you know, who's who's going to be the odd man sent down? I would probably tend to say, you know, it might be Javier Assad. For all the all of what he did really well in the World Baseball Classic, he is now... Um, he struggled a little bit in the bullpen role. He came out his his first outing. Um, you know, he threw really well. He threw a great inning. Came out for a second inning, and then you know got hit a little bit. Walked a couple guys, and so when we look at Javier Assad, you know he's it's only thrown four innings, but he's got a um, ERA over twelve. And he's a guy I think they want to throw multiple innings. Now it made sense. He earned his way on the team. He was great in spring training. He was great in the World Baseball Classic. But this might be a situation now where when Hughes comes back, they might send him back down and let Assad stretch back out, be a starting pitcher in Iowa, and be ready when the time comes when inevitably the staff in Chicago has an injury and needs somebody to come up. But on the hitting side, you know, I think it's you're probably looking at um, Nick Madrigal as a guy who can go down. Miles Mastroboni is a rookie. He's got three options left. He could he could go down. He's not off to the best start either. Um so we'll see how that goes. I think um, pretty likely to be one of those two. I don't think it'll be Luis Torrens. He's done okay. He's had some flashes, um, but he's a guy who doesn't have any options left. So if the Cubs want to send him down, they're basically going to have to DFA him, get him through waivers, and take him off the 40-man. So once Say is back, I think the lineup looks a little bit stronger. So when we look at the hitting so far, we've had hot starts by Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson, and Patrick Wisdom. Um, Swanson has really, really impressed me. I mean, he's a guy who came over with offensive questions, known great glove, good speed, great team guy, you know, big hustle, fast. But when you look at his career, he's not hit well early in the season. And then when you factor in, you know, how many guys across baseball sign big contracts and then go to their new team and immediately struggle, you know, whether it's a matter of, new environment, new routines, new home field, or whether they're pressing a little bit to try to, you know, impress and justify that contract value. We see that time and time and time again. And, you know, Dansby Swanson has come out hot. Now he's, he's cooled off a touch over the last couple games, but nobody's going to hit 560 over the course of a season, which is where he was after the first, uh, like four games or something like that. Right now he's got a WRC plus of 148. He's hitting 375. You know, his K rate's pretty low, 16%. You know, so he's off to a great start. And then Ian Happ is doing a lot of Ian Happ things. So now when we came into the season, we came in with question marks, right? It's what's Dansby going to be? There were still questions, you know, every thread on Twitter, any message board or any discussion on Ian Happ about extensions, there's a huge camp that believes, you know, he's, he's earned it. He's going to be worth some money. He's going to be a, maybe a top five free agent this off season. 
And then there are people who, well, you know, I, st- I still want to see some more. He's had a lot of inconsistency in the past, but at this point, it's a small sample size this year, but what we're seeing is what we've seen over the last year and a half. So from the time that all those guys were traded off in 2021 and Ian Happ was just put in left field every day and left alone, he played really, really well. Then last year he was an all-star, won a gold glove, had a great season. You know, this is, I think, who he is. So he is a guy at this point there probably will, I can't imagine there will be any uh, extension at this point, but maybe the Cubs the Cubs will have a, about a week of exclusive negotiation when the World Series is over before he truly hits the market. Um, but I think Hap is going to hit the market, and we'll see. Maybe the Cubs keep him, maybe they don't. But he's definitely earning himself a lot of money, and it's fun to watch. Um, Patrick Wisdom is off to a surprisingly good start. Um, you know, he's hit a few home runs. You know, he's hitting three twenty. He's getting on base. He's got a one ninety WRC plus. And again, you know, everything is small sample size. But what we're seeing out of Wisdom is from 2021, he cut his strikeout rate last year. You know, went from like 42% in 2021. He was in the low 30s last year. And so far this year, you know, he's low 30s again, but, you know, he's making a lot of hard contact. And that's that's a lot of fun to watch. And when we look at, you know, the rest of the lineup, it's guys are kind of struggling. You know, Horner's off to kind of a slow start. Um Master Boney's not hitting much. Um, Trey Mancini is kind of okay. He's um, not showing a lot of power yet. Um, again, I'll continue to say small sample size. I will also say that for some of those bigger hitters like Mancini, you know, it's cold and it's in Chicago. So far, they've played a pretty warm series in Cincinnati, but they've played most of their, you know, most all most. Basically, the rest of their games have all been in Wrigley Field. And Wrigley Field in April is not a great place to hit. So some of these numbers will naturally come up. And, you know, I'm not freaking out because Trey Mancini isn't hitting from out of power yet. Um, Eric Hosmer is doing Eric Hosmer things. He's not striking out much. He's making a lot of contact. He's hitting the ball hard. And he's hitting the ball on the ground. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, a lot of singles, maybe occasional gap double where the, the ball's on the ground or a very low line drive, but it's, you know, 105.6 exit below. That's what he does. Um, and he's another one from the roster construction side that got a lot of questions. You know, he's Cubs aren't paying him much. They're paying him league minimum because San Diego is still paying him that massive contract they signed him for. And the Cubs are hoping to get some stability, some good picks at first base. We've seen some of that. And be able to get a guy who's going to make a lot of contact, keep the lineup moving, but meanwhile, you know, if we go look at AAA statistics and uh, I'll have a guest in soon to go talk about what's going on in the minor leagues, you know, Matt Mervis is, looks like he's kind of picking up where he left off and he's crushing the ball. So at some point, Mervis is going to push for playing time in Chicago. And I think, I don't think there are any imminent moves on the horizon. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where Cosmer gets any less than, you know, six weeks, six, eight weeks to to run and play and and see what he can do. But the decision may be coming in mid to late May. Like if Mash Mervis is killing the baseball, what do we do with Hosmer? Hosmer is a very easy cut. I know he's he's a likable guy. I think he's a good clubhouse guy. Um but you know if he's hitting what's he hitting right now? 273 that you know that that'll kind of play if he stays there. He's been hot the last few games. But that comes with a you know WRC plus of 89. He doesn't provide a lot of power. He's never been a big power guy. He does hit the ball hard. 
Um, he'll make a lot of contact and he'll ground into a good number of double plays. That's, that's how it works. So we'll have to see when say it comes back. What do they do with that roster spot? If Nelson Velasquez, Matt Mervis, Christopher Morale continue to crush the ball, you know, in the minor leagues, then there'll be some tough decisions coming up. And on Morrell for a second, I know he's he's somebody I see mentioned a lot to be up in Chicago. I'm totally fine with him being in Iowa. He's had almost no AAA time. He played, I think, a week of AAA at the end of 2021. And then last year started the season in AA, and that's where the Cubs called him up from. And I've said it before. I don't think the Cubs had any intention of Morrell coming up to the bigs and sticking. I think they wanted to give him a taste and give him a shot to show what he could do. And then that was probably going to come with a promotion to AAA once he – was sent back down to the minors. Um, but he just got off to such a quick start and was such an infectious personality on a team that was frankly going nowhere. There was no reason to send him back down. But we saw at the end of last season, you know, his K rates in the, I think by the end of the season, the last month, his K rate was over 40%. And so sending him to AAA to let him play every day, let him maybe settle in. I'm, I'm, I haven't checked the positioning. I know he's played some third base. I'm hoping he, he's playing a lot of third base. But let him settle in, get those reps, and work on that strikeout rate. This is a case where there is some balance between long-term development and winning today. The Cubs would be better today, I believe, if Morrell was on the big league roster instead of Mastroboni or instead of Nick Madrigal. <coughs> but I also think that Christopher Morrell has a much higher ceiling than either one of those guys. And if the way to get to that ceiling is to let him take some time and let him, you know, get things right, settle in, get comfortable. We saw it with Kyle Schwarber. We saw it with Ian Happ. You know, let a guy go back to the minors, figure it out. Again, maybe not for the whole season. Maybe it's for a month. Maybe it's for two months. Maybe it's a midseason call back up. But if he can get that K-rate down, he's a guy that I think could be really good for a really long time. Um, I don't know if he'd necessarily be a superstar, but he's a high-energy guy. He can play a lot of positions. He has a lot of pop, and I think the Cubs are correctly, in this case, taking the long-term view that let's get Christopher Morrell what Christopher Morrell needs versus what Chicago needs right now. I think the Cubs can cover those bases. I think it's better for Morrell to be playing in Iowa every day than to be on the bench in Chicago starting two, three times a week. Nelson Velazquez is probably down for very similar reasons. He didn't get a lot of play in Chicago, but back to the roster construction questions, it's interesting to me that he was up for so much of last season. I think he came up uh, May or June. I can't remember for sure. I don't have it in front of me. But he came up, and then he stuck for the rest of the season, even though he wasn't necessarily always playing a lot. And he probably would have been better served last year to have been down in Iowa, getting regular bats, playing every day you know, showing off that power. But instead, he was in Chicago, mostly riding the bench, occasionally playing, you know, in the outfield. And then now that, say, a Suzuki's hurt, there's an actual opening in Chicago where he could have played for the better part of a couple weeks, you know. Even if the plan was to send Velasquez back down and get those AAA reps, it's interesting that they did not have him come play right field and instead are going with the hodgepodge of Mancini and Wisdom and Mastroboni. Um, so we'll see. I think he's a guy, he's off to a huge start in Iowa. So hopefully he'll be, uh, pushing some decisions. You know, again, like the more the guys from the minors can push, 
the better they perform, the bigger numbers they're putting up, the more excitement they're generating. That gives Jed a lot to think about when he's looking at the major league roster. So, um, yeah, more to come on those. But one of the things that's really stood out to me, um, again, is a team built on pitching and defense. And pitching has largely looked very good. I think I saw today that the Cubs are in the top five in baseball with a ERA, starting pitcher ERA, just a touch over three. And leading the way have been Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele. Those two have been unbelievable. Um, I was able to see Stro on opening day, and even though I was sitting down third baseline ways, you know, he was just sharp. Like, guys weren't hitting him. And and here's a crazy stat. Um, Marcus Stroman has given up no fly balls so far. You know, all of his outcomes have been hits, walks, strikeouts, or ground balls, ground outs. Um, it's really amazing. I mean, he is just on fire right now. He's two and oh, he's thrown six innings in each outing. You know, he's only given up a handful of hits, no runs. His strikeout per nine rate is up over 10 and a half. That's pretty high for him. He's never been a huge K guy. And then in both those games, you know, he's just, he's just all where he needs to be. He's keeping the ball down. His pitches are moving. Um, and it's very low, you know, like a lot of this pitching staff, one of the reasons why you pair up the pitching with the defense is this pitching staff relies on a lot of weak contact. And so far the Cubs are not giving up a ton of hard contact. Um, Marcus Stroman has given up very little, obviously no runs. And then Justin Steele behind him, he's also thrown six innings in two starts and he's given up one run, um, in those 12 innings. He hasn't struck out quite as many as Steele or as Stroman. He, they both struck out eight on their first starts, and then uh, Steele was a little bit rougher this second start, but he battled through. Um, one thing that stands out to me with Justin Steele when you go, if you go to Baseball Savant, you can look at his you know three D visualization of his pitches. And last year when he really took off, he was starting to throw righties in more. And one of the things Tommy Hadovy was interviewed on a couple different podcasts. I think CHGO was one of them. And he was talking about Justin Steele. One of the big changes was changing what he was targeting. And by doing so, he was able to make better misses. And, you know, a pitcher doesn't hit their spot every time. But he started working right-handers inside a lot more often and lefties away. And one of the things that does then is if he's facing a right-hander who might be a little bit dangerous, if he's missing and he's aiming in and he's aiming up – He's going to miss up and in. That's a really hard pitch to hit. And when it's, you know, the, get that cut right fastball, it's coming in in your hands. Um, so even if he's not quite hitting his spots, he's still breaking some barrels. He's still having guys pop balls up, beat them into the ground. And one thing that stands out to me when I, I look at that 3D image is if you visualize it the as four quadrants, you know, up and into a righty, up and into a lefty, down and into a righty, and down and into a lefty. That down and into a lefty or down and away to a right-hander is the quadrant where a guy like Steele can get burned. Because if he's thrown there and he misses, he's suddenly missing middle-middle. And that's something that's riding right into the you know batter's power stroke. But that quadrant is very, very light. Very few of his pitches have been in that zone. That tells me he is hitting his spots. He's keeping the ball up to lefties. And he's keeping the ball in on right right-handers which is great to see i mean and the results speak for themselves i mean he's um 
according to Fangraphs, he's given up no barrels yet this year. And a barrel is measured by you know a guy hitting it off the screws. Basically, you hit it on the barrel of the bat and you crush the ball. And he's one of the best in baseball, top five, I think, right now in, in weak contact. Um, and so those two are just killing at the top of the rotation. So between the two of them, they're three and zero with a combined ERA under one. Um, and then you get to Jamison Tyone, and so he's zero and two. And I know some people are getting a little bit angsty about uh, Jamison Tyone. I'm not super worried at this point. I mean, I do I do wish he was pitching better, obviously. But when you look at when you really look at the results and get into you know some some of the numbers, he's not giving up a lot of hard contact. He is giving up contact. He's not striking out a lot of guys, but that's, you know, not what he does. He doesn't walk guys. Uh, I mean, he's walks two guys per nine innings and he's thrown nine innings. He's walked two guys. Um, and that's what he did in spring training, spring training. I don't think he actually walked a guy unless he did in his last start. And so he's constantly putting the ball in the zone. Guys are going to hit it. And he's kind of little bit of bad luck. Um, you know, when you look at his fielding independent pitching on fan graphs, he's a two Oh six. Um, you know, his, his ERA is six, but his expected ERA is 3.03. So with some of those weak contacts, some of those bloops, you know, he's catching a little bit of bad luck. That kind of, that kind of stuff happens and it's going to even itself out over time. So Jameson Tyone is one where I look to, I would look and say, you know, small sample size. He's doing a lot of the things we want him to be doing. He's keeping the ball in the zone. He's not giving up a lot of hard contact. And that is going to play over the course of a season. Now, when I look at Stroman and Steele, obviously there's still a component of small sample size in there too. But there I look at the trends. You know, right now Justin Steele is picking up where he left off last season before his last injury. I mean, he is pitching really, really well. And I think we're starting to see that that He's not always going to be this good. He's not going to give up, you know, one run in 12 innings on every pair of starts. At some point, he'll get knocked around a little bit. But that is, I think, who he is. And Marcus Stroman has a whole career where if he's healthy, he's, you know, keeping the ball down. He's getting a lot of weak contact. And that is just Marcus Stroman doing Marcus Stroman things. So I don't think Stroman and Steele are quite as small sample size Um I'll say... Steel to an extent, just because he has not had an extended run of success yet in the major leagues. But this is playing so much like it was last year when he was doing so well in the second half of the season. Um, Move down past Tyone, you know, Drew Smiley had a rough first outing. He's going to pitch tonight against the Mariners. We'll see how he goes. Um, you know, Drew Smiley is a guy I've, I've got confidence in. I'm not super worried, but, you know, he's he's older. He's had a lot of injury issues over the course of his career. He's probably not a guy I would expect to be able to make 30 starts this year. And he's your number four starter. So the Cubs will have to watch. Drew Smiley might be a guy that, you know, at some point if, you know, one of the guys in AAA is really tearing it up, you know, facade goes down there and is just tearing it up and stuff and Smiley continues to struggle, Smiley might wind up back in the bullpen and one of those guys from Iowa might come up. But when I look around at everything else, I mean, the, the bullpen's been pretty solid so far. Um, Adbert Azale has looked really good. Um, Mark Leiter Jr. is basically serving as the lefty in the bullpen. With Hughes out, the Cubs don't have a lefty in the bullpen, but Leiter typically pitches to reverse splits. So he, you know, Leiter Jr. has thrown three innings. He's got five strikeouts, hasn't given up a run. He's been 
reliable. Boxburgers look good. Um, you know, so the, the bullpen's looking good. And then the last starter I'll talk about is Hayden Wisniewski. Um, he had a great spring training and totally won the starting job. And he, he was a little rough in his first outing, but I, I have to assume he was probably a little extra overamped. Um, and, you know, guys just have bad days sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not worried about him, but it'll be interesting to watch and see how he comes back in his next start. Um, hopefully on Tuesday, um, see if he can get back to throwing more like he was in spring training. Um, if not, you know, maybe he goes back to Iowa for a little bit, but I'm, I'm confident. I've, I've thought he deserved that job. I think he's by the end of the season, he is going to be more than their number five starter. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. So overall, we talked about some of the hitters already, but the, the Cubs are scoring over five runs a game. But one of the trends we see is something we've seen for a couple of years now. The Cubs still have a lot of boom and bust. Um, you know, they'll, they'll win 12-5 and they'll lose 3-1. to one. Um, Some of that is just baseball, but the Cubs do seem to do that a lot. Um, but again, if the Cubs can score more than four runs over the past several years, if the Cubs score more than four runs, they have an excellent record. If the Cubs are scoring four and a half to five runs a game, that's a really good place for them to be. With this pitching staff, that's going to win a lot of baseball games. Um, one thing that I have seen on the offense so far this year is um, one of the things, you know, bringing in guys like Eric Hosmer and, you know, playing Nick Madrigal more and some of the moves they made, we wanted to see a lower strikeout rate. They wanted to have a more balanced approach on the offense, put more balls in play, and we're seeing that. So last year, uh, the Cubs were 21st in baseball with a strikeout rate of 23.7%. This year, again, you know, small sample size, but the Cubs offense is currently 11th in K rate at, you know, 21.4%. So they are making more contact. They are putting the ball in play. And the Cubs are, I have seen several innings so far this year where they're stringing together hit after hit after hit. And maybe a ground ball brings in a run, a sack fly, and just keep things moving. And and we're seeing that play. You know, I think this offense is what it was built to be. This is not a powerful offense. You know, last year they were 18th in isolated power. This year they're they're, they're currently 27th, but you know, small sample size and you're playing all your games in cold weather at Wrigley Field so far, you know, that that's going to balance out over time and raise back up. Now, they will not be a high-power team unless they change the makeup of the roster, though. You know, if if six weeks from now we have Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velazquez, Matt Mervis, and some of those guys now playing more often, then all of a sudden, you know, your power is going to go up. But right now they're going to have to look to Hap and Wisdom and say it when he comes back. Yeah, that's the other thing. So the isolate power is down, but say Suzuki is one, maybe arguably their most powerful hitter, at least the side of Patrick Wisdom, and he hasn't played yet. So, you know, they're not going to have a lot of power, but hopefully that K rate stays down a little bit and they can continue to put things in play. Um, right now they are 14th in WRC plus with the same 98 they had last year, which put them 20th in baseball. So, a small sample size for those metrics, you know, it's going to fluctuate, but it, on the whole, I do like what I've seen. They, I like seeing the ball put in play more. Um, I've not noticed, I'll have to dig into some numbers at some point. I haven't seen good analysis of it yet, but um, as the sample size gets bigger, see what the lack of a shift does. Um, I, there've been a few balls I've seen that would have been announced with the shift. Um, but so far it's not eye popping. Um, you know, the defense, defensively, they've been pretty sound. But again, like I opened the podcast with, they're giving away defense at a couple positions every single day. And so 
that's going to leave a mark at some point in time. Now, right now, they're 23rd in baseball and defensive runs saved and 18th and outs above average. There's some small sample size in there for sure. Like, you know, Nico Horner's made an error and he's not going to make very many over the course of the year. But they're going to have to be sound defensively um, with this offense. So let's get into my expectations for this this team. I think when I look across the division, I see the Brewers are kind of, they're hitting a little bit better than I thought they would at this point. But we'll see if that lasts. They're pitching a strong, especially the top three in the rotation are really, really good. The Cardinals, their, their pitching's frankly kind of garbage right now. But that offense, whew, boy, that offense. Uh, you've got Paul Goldschmidt. You've got Nolan Arenado. Jordan Walker's killing it. Wilson Contreras, you know, that, that offense is going to score a lot of runs. Now, so far we're seeing them, you know, lose games 10-9, stuff like that. We'll see if their pitching settles in. But I still think with that offense, they're probably still the favorite in the division. Um, if Milwaukee keeps playing like this, they'll be better than I thought they were going to be. Um, coming into the season, I thought the Cardinals were probably uh, maybe a low 90s win team. You know, Brewers were probably low to mid 80s. Um I'll talk about the Cubs. I, I think the Cubs are going to win about 83 games would be my prediction before the season. But the cool thing about that is they, if they can be 500 or close, you know, the trade deadline, you can always add pieces. Maybe you catch a little uh, lightning in the bottle like they did in 2015. And when you look at across the roster, some of the variance guys, you know, is Hayden Wozneski going to be an above average major league starter this year? If he is, that makes the Cubs better. Is, you know, Cody Bellinger going to come back and hit like he did in 2019. Now, early returns so far are not great. Um, he's hitting 167. He's, you know, had had some big shots. But um, so far, we're kind of seeing the Cody Bellinger that we saw last year in L.A. Um, again, though, it's eight games. So through any kind of a season, guys will have eight-game slumps. So we'll, we'll I need to see a little bit more from Cody. But so far, you know, it's uh, – just like I say, Justin Steele is building on the trend from last year. Ian Happ is building on the trend from last year. So is Cody Bellinger so far. But I think with the Cubs' 83 wins, I think they're solidly second or third in this division. I think they have some upside potential. I could see a path where they win 90. I could see them contending for the wild card. I could see them, you know, if the Cardinals slip and their pitching does struggle, if they don't win those 90 games, some of those games are going to go other places, and that's going to be to the Brewers and the Cubs. And so if the Cubs can pick up some of that ground, maybe they get more upper 80s than be competing for the division, certainly be competing for that third wild card spot. And the most exciting thing I can say about the season is I want to see meaningful baseball in mid to late September. If we get that, I'm going to be, we'll, we'll see what I say then. But I think if we get that, I will be on the whole satisfied with the season and satisfied with the progress they've made. Then they're in a position where, good young talent is starting to come up to the bigs. They're going to have an opportunity next year to make a splash and spend a lot of money in free agency. Um, they're going to have a lot of options next off season. So show us that you're going to win this year. Show us that you're doing what you can to win. Don't float in. I, the worst case scenario for this team would be to really struggle in the first half. And the first half schedule is difficult. We'll continue to talk about that. But, if they are struggling by the all-star break, if they are limping into the trade deadline and suddenly they're trading Ian Happ and they're trading whoever from those guys is performing well, you know, again, it, it it's a rebuild and it would be more infusion of young talent in return. But I think we're all tired of that. 
I think we want to see competitive baseball. I want to see meaningful baseball in September. I want to be able to see crowds at Wrigley Field with a playoff vibe. Um, yeah, that's what I want to see. So more to come. I will start recording a little bit more often. We're going to have real baseball to talk about. We'll get some guests on, like I said. And uh, let's go, Cubs. Let's uh, get the Mariners tonight. A quick addendum. While I was recording this episode, the Cubs optioned Javier Assad to Iowa and called up Nelson Velazquez. I assume we'll see a lot of Velazquez until Sayer returns, but we'll see. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!